Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Jeremy. Man, I'm just, I, I am thrilled to be here uh, to deliver God's word uh, with you all today. Um, but before we get into uh, the sermon, if you all would, please stand uh, for the reading of God's word. And we're in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they had saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the ends of the age. And the church says, Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Um, man, Pastor Jeremy, I didn't, I didn't know you were going to give a whole sermon before I came up here. Was, man, but it, it really was, man. Um, you know, I, today we're going to be talking about making disciples. And um, I just, I, I think about Adam Toledo and, uh, you know, report, reports are that he was with a another young man that, that day in his early 20s. Um, you know, and, and it's so tragic, and we, and we mourn today his loss. And you just, you just wonder, what if he was with somebody who went after him, somebody who would have been pursuing him that he might know Jesus? And although we mourn, today is a good day, amen? I mean, this is a real passion of mine, making disciples. Somebody say make disciples. You know, when I, when I was asked to preach today, I mean, I was immediately excited at first because of the topic, but, but then I was kind of like, man, you know, this is going to be a little bit repetitious with our slam training, right? So for some of you guys that have been here, but then I was like, a little repetition never hurt nobody, right? Never hurt MJ, never hurt LeBron, never hurt Kobe. I mean, after all, repetition is part of the changing process, right? It's part of this, this process as believers we call sanctification, Right, come to think of it, it's actually a big part of what, what it means to be a disciple. Why? What is a disciple? A disciple is a student. A disciple is a follower. Somebody that's willing to stick and, and abide and remain with that who he's following, right? And, and we're called to be students of Jesus and followers of Jesus, right? But not just in our knowledge, but also in our action. What does it mean to be a student in that which you follow but that which you also do, amen? And guess what? It's never-ending, right? I mean, you're never going to graduate from Christ University, right? Not if you're a real disciple. It's nonstop, nonstop learning always, right? And real disciples are called to make disciples. Who make disciples? Who make disciples? Who make disciples? We could do this all day. But, but check this out. It's just like Adam and Eve in the beginning. They were called to make children. Who make children? Who make children. And, and we could have been, we, we do this all day, right? I mean, and, and what, for what purpose? All to the glory of our creator, right? He's created us with a purpose. And this is important because, man, the reason you all are here today is because somebody, somebody poured into you. No matter where you are in your walk, somebody poured their life 
into you, right? Somewhere along the way, they poured the Jesus that someone poured into them into you. And guess what, family? It better not stop. For all of us, right? This is, this is the case for everyone here. The pouring is not finished. Can the church say amen? amen? And also, there's church family. I want to consider this. We live in a culture that when we think about discipleship, we tend to think about some, you man, this discipleship, that thing, man, man that's, that's, that's like the thing only professional Christians do, right? Like that's the thing that only the pastors do or, or the deacons or Bible scholars or, or whatever it is, right? Um, some maybe only the real experienced Christians do, right? I mean, we'd be like, man, I don't know if I could do all that. I mean, I could invite someone to church and have somebody else disciple, right? Or, or I, can I actually lead someone into a real relationship with Jesus? That's got to be someone else. Anybody? Man, fam, that's a lie. It's a lie of the enemy. It is such the lie. We got to expose it. We got to expose it right here and right now, right? That lie is meant to distract us. It's meant to distract us, and it's meant to interrupt us, right? And everything that we've been talking about lately, it's a lie to prevent us from magnifying the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So now, so again, like Pastor Jeremy shared just a moment ago, we're right now in the middle of a, of a, of a, a series. This, consider this four parts of a series, right? Let's recap a little bit. A couple weeks ago, uh, we began on Good Friday. What, are we, what, what was that for? To remember the great sacrifice that our Lord made as he faced the, the, the brutal and rugged cross, right? Why did he do it? He did it for us so that we could have life in him. Can the church say amen? Then it continued on Resurrection Sunday, right? From life in vain to life in our veins, right? The reality that if not for the resurrection of Christ, we would all right now be living a life that's pointless, that's straight meaningless, right? I mean, basically, we we all might as well have been dead this whole time, right? But God. Because of what Christ has done, he overcame death, he overcame the grave. We too in him can overcome death and the grave. Can the church say amen? And because of that, last week, we saw that we were made to glorify God with a purpose, right? The way we said it is that we were made to magnify him, to glorify him, to worship him in the fact of living for him, right? I'll say it again, to magnify him in the fact of living for him. Can the church say amen? You ever consider what it means to magnify? What does it mean to magnify? Anybody ever use a magnifying glass? Magnifying glass is something that you can use to, to make something look much bigger, right? It's also it's a lens that you can look through. And for you young bucks playing Call of Duty or Fortnite, I mean, that's or whatever your, your choice of first-person shooter is, it's when you unlock one of those scopes, right? That gives you that two times or that four times magnification. It, it lets you zoom in, right? It's called the magnification feature, right? You see, when you look through the lens to aim at a target, what you're looking at becomes much bigger, much clearer, much easier to see. And as a Christian, and when people look at you, as they look through you as a magnifier, what they should see is Christ, much bigger, much clearer, easier to see. See, we were made to magnify. Somebody say made to magnify. Amen. Thank you, baby boy. Now, this was always supposed to be the case, family. This is not a new concept at all. I mean, 
This is what it means to be made in the image of God, which we all are, right? They were made to very literally show us God's image. And not only his image, family, but his likeness too. You see, we were created to cultivate. Somebody say created to cultivate. We were created to cultivate, to put our hand to the plow with our hands, right? We were made to, against all opposition, which would eventually come because of sin, we were made to produce fruit, put our hands to the plow to produce fruit, right? So in the beginning, as we know, God, God had a desire to make man in his image and in his likeness, but it was always to magnify him. And, and before sin entered into the world, which kind of changed or, or marred our, our ability to do this, we were made very literally to show God's glory. So in the beginning, let's go there, God creates Adam and Eve, and he gives them a command, right? And when most people think about the command that, that God gave Adam and Eve in the garden, what do you automatically think about, think about? Man, he said, don't eat of the fruit of, which, uh, uh, of knowledge of good and evil, right? That's what he said. He gives this command. But family, it's actually the only, like, thou shall not command in all of the creation story. But that's actually not the command I'm talking about. I'm talking about the the job that God gave Adam and Eve, the job that he gave the man and woman to do. I'm talking about the kind of command that would display God's character. What I'm actually talking, I'm not talking about the tree. What I'm talking about is the creation mandate. Somebody say creation mandate. The command was this. If this was done without sin, it would display our creator through us. It would display God as creator. It would display the God of love. And it would display the God of life, right? What was the command? He said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it, right? This is what we call fruitful multiplication. And how does this happen? Well, the simple answer is what? Like, you probably think, oh, make babies, right? And some of y'all are like, I could do that. And some of y'all are like, I'm done doing that. Man, and it's true, but family, it's way more than that. Fruitful multiplication is this. It's doing the necessary work in love to spread life throughout all the earth. Say it again. Fruitful multiplication is doing the necessary work in love to spread life throughout the whole earth. Now, this is important. This definition we're going to bring back a little bit later. We're going to come back to it. But you see, this is what was disrupted in the garden, right? When man and woman, Adam and Eve, when they decided to magnify their own names, they fell to a self-focus. They fell to self-focus. So remember last week we said that to glorify God meant to be Godward in our focus, right? And forward in our purpose. But yes, in the garden, there was a moment of self-focus, right? And what happened was Adam and Eve, they took their eyes off their creator and they put the magnifying scope on, them, on something else. They put the magnifying scope on themselves and their own glory. And the serpent deceived them by saying, when you eat of the fruit, you will not die, but rather you will be like God. And that was enough for them to be tempted and partake of the fruit and sin into the world and changed everything. Right. When our foreparents ate the fruit, we became infected right now with COVID-19, but with like COVID 6000 B.C. Right. But let's just call it sin. Amen. Because that's what it is. 
Somebody say, sin's what it is. Sin showed its power in the very next chapter of Genesis, right? Cain killed his brother Abel in what? In jealousy, a self-focused jealousy, right? You see, Satan's and sin's mission is really to stop the glory of God's name, to stop the creation mandate, to stop the magnification of God's name. Again, the strategy is to what? It's to stop fruitful multiplication, right? If there's anything that does fill the earth, because we know there's plenty of things that fill the earth, the enemy's plan is to make it so that it's not fruitful, to make sure that it's not in God's love, to make sure that it doesn't further and produce life. Right? We all know that all, all multiplication is not fruitful, right? Self-focused rather than God-focused ambition and self-purpose. This, kind of, this leads to all kinds of multiplication that really reeks of the stench of death. And we see it all over, right? And it's evidence when that's the case because it glorifies ourself in the process, right? You know what makes it so obvious? That it's usually just really self-focused. I mean, let's face it. Why is it so hard to make disciples? Think about this. We love to isolate ourselves. We love to invest in ourselves. We love to do what's best for us, if we're being honest, over what's best for others, right? And even when we have good intentions and even when we have those moments, right, like we're here in this service, it's like, no, I'm going to change. Things are going to change, right? We, what we end up doing is we're like, man, we think, I want to be like Jesus. I really, really do. And, 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 but things come, things come up, and we make excuses. And what we do is we make excuses not to make disciples and excuses that focus on ourselves, right? You think of things that like this. Okay, I'm not, I'm not experienced enough, right? Like I don't know enough scripture or I don't have enough time in my schedule. I'm going to wait for that season to come, right? Or I, I, don't, I don't really have enough to offer, right? And you know what? I'll give you all those things. So let's own it. Can we do that? As a church family, can we own all those things that all those things are true? But like, unlike Adam and Eve, what we're going to do is we're going to collectively come together. And we're going to confess the truth, right? But we're not going to give in to the temptation of the enemy. So if you will, family, repeat after me. I'm not experienced enough. I do not know enough scripture. I do not have enough time. I do not have enough to offer. Could the church say amen? Because here's the thing. Here's the truth, church. If, if our eyes are on us, we can't do this. Because we don't have enough. But if we would just get our eyes up. If we would get our eyes up on Christ. Somebody say, get my eyes up. See, family, look, there's a war going around all around us, and it's a spiritual war, right? But family, we don't have to be the ones that win it because Christ's already won. And our tendency is to back down. Family, don't back down. The call is to make disciples, and that call to make disciples is a call to magnify him. You see, family, if you've been redeemed, you've been redeemed To replicate. Somebody say redeemed to replicate. Christ took up his cross, right? So that we would take up our cross. 
and do what? Follow him. Think about this. Christ came to rescue us by making disciples out of us. Can the church say amen? All right, again, we were made to glorify him, right? It's Godward in our focus and forward in our purpose. We were made to magnify our maker in doing simply what he created us to do. Real simply. So now, many, many, of, us do, many of us realize that like in, uh, any inventor, any invention ever made was always made to magnify or to glorify its creator. Right? Why? Because if you do what the creator's made you to do, you innately glorify him. How? Just simply by doing what you were made to do, right? So uh, I'm going to tell a little story. Is that cool? Can I tell a little story? There was once a man named Tony Stark. Anybody know who Tony Stark is? Show of hands. Tony Stark made an armor that was supposed to fly and to protect people. He called it the Mark III. His enterprise was named Stark Industries. Now, here's the thing. If his Mark III armor couldn't fly and didn't protect people, but if instead it killed people, Stark Industries would be a disgrace. His name would be disgraced. His name would be made really small, and his legacy, which was one time great, would just die and fade year upon year, forever, until it's completely forgotten. You see, this is the exact opposite of what God wants for his name of what Christ wants for his name. Jesus did many things when he came to earth, but all along the way, he was making disciples from the very beginning to the very end. Why? So that his name would not only be remembered, but it would be magnified and multiplied forever, right? And so, yes, Jesus did many things. Jesus loved, right? We see it when we look through, through through the through the Gospels, right? He loved, he healed, he fed the hungry. Jesus raised men from the dead as he raised Lazarus, right? But all along the way, Jesus made disciples of all those he did that for, right? So check this out, fam. Christ began his ministry by making disciples. He began his ministry by making disciples. Christ fulfilled his ministry by making disciples. And Christ ended his ministry by mandating his disciples to what? Make disciples, right? So let's, let's cover these one at a time. Christ began his ministry by making disciples. And we see this in John chapter 1, verses 35 through 37. We see the story of, of Jesus beginning his ministry, right? So John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin, right? And he was a prophet. He was the one who, uh, who as the scripture said, who he, what he would do is that he would be the one that would be the one crying out in the wilderness His prophetic mission was to announce the coming of Messiah and to identify Messiah when he wrote, when he came to Jerusalem, right? So when Jesus shows up on the scene, which he does in chapter one, John's baptizing in the Jordan River, right? When he sees Jesus. And this is when John says, behold, the Lamb of God. He's letting everyone know who's, who's arrived, right? And John had disciples. John had a few young men following him. And those that were following him, he says, yo, you need to follow this guy, right? <laughs> his, he is such that his sandals, I'm unworthy to untie. Right? And the disciples who, who, were, who were following John, now they began to follow, follow Jesus, literally follow him. And Jesus turns to them and he says, yo, what are you seeking? And what was Jesus' response? And, and, and what do they say? They said, well, teacher, which means rabbi. Where are you staying? And what was Jesus' response? He wasn't like, teacher, where am I staying? He wasn't like, yo, go ask someone else. 
He wasn't like, oh, well, um, see, right now I'm about to, uh, I got some things to do. Uh, hit me up, you know, let me, let me see, let me get back to you, right? His response was actually, come and you will see. And within a day, Jesus had four disciples. There were two that day, two the next, and he had four. And these disciples were following them. And why were they following him? What did Jesus say? He said, come and see how he lived his life. So, family, if we're going to make disciples like Jesus, we have to be willing to say, come and see my life, right? More on this in a moment. So Christ began his ministry making disciples. Secondly, Christ fulfilled his ministry by making disciples. We see this in Luke chapter 5 amongst many scriptures, pretty much Jesus' whole ministry. But here's a microcosm we're going to see in in Luke chapter 5. This is a real turning point for Jesus in his relationship with those who are following him. Jesus is with, is he's with his disciples as they're what? As they're fishing. In other words, it must have been bring your rabbi to work day. <laughs> right? Because they're, they're, you know, he, they're at work and he's tagging along, right? He's tagging along, but he's making disciples as he goes. And the scripture says that they've been working as hard as they could all night and overnight to catch fish, right? They're doing what they were experts at doing, Right? Jesus, he's a rabbi, and he's come along with us. Even though they're experts at fishing, they couldn't catch anything all night, overnight. And if you have a, a day at work with that, anybody, where it's like nothing's working, it's like you're doing everything the right day, but yo. So Jesus is with them, and he says, yo, cast your net over the right side of the boat. And at first, they're like, Jesus, bro, <laughs> we're fishermen. We do this for a living. You're a rabbi. And by the way, you're not going to see these words. This is, this, is, <laughs> this is Eric's interpretation of what happened, right? We've been doing this all night. We've caught nothing. In other words, I know you're a rabbi and all, but like we do this fishing thing like every day, all the time. Like You're not a pro at this, but we are. But since you are a rabbi and we are supposed to listen to you, because that's the case, we will. We'll cast the net over the right side of the boat. We'll do it. And what happened? Did they catch one fish? Did they catch two fish? They caught so many fish that their nets could not hold it. And Jesus' response was, from this day forward, I will make you fishers of men. And we can take that as from this day forward, I will make you fishermen of men and women, right? From this day forward. So family, check this out. It doesn't matter what you do in life. You don't have to be a pastor or a Bible scholar. You could be a fisherman. You could be a nurse, and Jesus, Jesus will say, I will make you a nurse of men and women. You could be a teacher, and Jesus will say, I will make you a teacher of men and women. You're co- what, coach? Coach? I'll make you a coach of men and women. Baseball player? Okay, we can do that too. Salesman? I'll make you a salesman to men and women. I'm a mom at home. Guess what? I will make you a mother of men and women. Right? Because here's the reality, that no matter what you do in life, it can't be your excuse not to make disciples. Because Christ will make it your reason to make disciples. See, this is what Jesus would do. He'll take your excuse, flip it around, and make it the reason that you can, should, and will. The same way he did with four fishermen, yo. If Jesus could make disciples who make disciples out of uneducated fishermen in the first century, he can make a disciple maker out of you today. Here and now. But if you're willing, right? Because that's what it comes down to. If you're willing, Christ is going to make you whatever you do that for Christ. 
All you have to do is not be so professional that you're not willing to put out your net. Right? You got to not be so professional that you're not willing to put your net over the right side of the boat and say, no, you don't understand. I've tried this before, but it's not working. Jesus is going to say, put that net over the right side of the boat. And you might be asking yourself, well, my net, what do you mean? What's my net? Um, There's so much to this, but I'll make it simple. Literally anything that you own. You're ready to watch. I mean, so in Luke chapter 5, in the beginning, it started with, before they even went out at sea, the fishermen were washing their nets. What were they doing? They They were preparing to do their work, right? What do you have to prepare your, your work of making disciples with whatever you own, right? And that could be whatever you have. It could be your, your expertise, right? So, like, do you know how to cook? That's your net. Do you know how to ride a bike? That's your net. Do you know how to play a game? That's your net. Do you have a car? Do you have a couch? Do you have a dining room table? Do you have a cell phone? Literally anything that you own, you can prepare right now if you're willing to make disciples with. Literally anything you have. Why? Because anything that you have can either, you can either reject that as it comes to making disciples, or Christ can literally redeem that so that you can make disciples if you're willing. So Christ began his ministry making disciples, Christ fulfilled his ministry making disciples, and Christ ended his ministry by mandating his disciples to what again? Make disciples. Matthew chapter 28. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the ends of the age. So now in the same way the Old Testament, there was this mandate for Adam and Eve. There's a mandate in the New Testament, and it's found right here. Right? Remember that, that definition of fruitful multiplication that, that, that God gave man and woman in the garden? What do we say? Fruitful multiplication is this. It's doing the necessary work in love to spread life throughout all the earth, right? It was a job God gave us to do, right? And yes, we failed. We fell. We sinned. And we were lost. But God. He gave us hope. Christ gave us hope. Christ died in our place. Christ rose from the dead and he gave us a purpose. And because he has all authority on heaven and earth and because he's with us right now until the ends of the age, we shouldn't fret. Why? Because Christ came to show us how. The apostle says it this way. The apostle Paul, who didn't even follow Jesus in the flesh, (laughs) but followed Ananias later in the ministry after spending three years with Jesus up in Jerusalem, who... I mean, in in, uh, the mountains of Arabia, spends time with Ananias, and now the Apostle Paul is making disciples. And the Apostle Paul says, guess what? Follow me as I follow Christ. And that's what this is going to look like, church. You have to be willing to tell those around you who God has placed around you, follow me as I follow Christ. It's relatively simple here, man. All right, so in what we see in Matthew 28 is first he says, therefore go. And why does he say therefore? Because this is the king, y'all. This is the king. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. He won us to himself by shedding his blood on the cross. The crown prince now has become the king. And he says, therefore, go. The one with authority, right? Now, as we go, which is the Hebrew, 
we're called to make disciples. We got to figure out how to do it. But the point is this. We can't wait. We got to go. Don't wait for that season to come. Ask the question now, how can I go? How do I get plugged in? Who would show me how? What, is, what do the scriptures say? Who around me? There's plenty of men and women that are around you that are willing to help if you're willing to ask, right? We're always on mission, church, right? As we go. And in Matthew 28 says, Go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The whole point is this. We come as filthy rags to God, right? It's the baptism process that changes us, right? I know many people think about the moment of baptism when we get dunked in the water because we make a confession and we come up and say, look, Christ is Lord and I'm made clean. This is the the symbolic gesture of what's done, but also what is happening, right? The word baptism, it comes from the Latin baptizo, and that word, it, 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 it's, it's a, a, a going in, remaining in, abiding in. And it's in the abiding that change happens, right? I don't know if you ever heard the, the example of the cucumber. A cucumber is a cu- cucumber. Is what, it is what it is. But once you take that cucumber and you put it into a vinegar solution and you seal the cap on top, that process is baptizo, the full submersion. But you can't just take it out, put it in and take it out. It has to remain. And the process of being inside the changing brings it out as a new creation. This is what it means for us to be baptized. So as a, to, as a disciple maker, we're one that's called to go and to baptize those that would follow us as we follow Christ to abide in and to remain in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We could talk about that for days. We don't got time. But the reality that God is a forever, eternal, loving community, right? Forever loving, forever present. And in that, yes, there's... Oh, there's going to be teaching. We'll talk about that in a moment. But the idea is that we would would bring them into the fullness of who God is, not just in the water, because we do need to do that, but also in the character of God. Amen? And then lastly, and teaching them to observe all they have commanded and know that I'm with you to the very ends of the age. We have to teach. And if we're making disciples, there's going to be content that we're going to teach them. Yes, for sure. But we're teaching them God's word. In John, Jesus says it this way, if you abide, right, the whole idea behind abiding, remaining, remaining in, abiding in what? My word. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. This is a contingency statement, y'all. You have to remain. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Then you will know the truth. And that truth will what? It will set you free, right? All these things can only happen if you're willing to open up your life and bring people along with you, right? The idea is this, and we said it Thursday in our training, but look, you need to share your time and space, right? And that could look a whole bunch of different ways, and a lot of us could be considered a man. I got to add time to my schedule. Like, no, your current time and space, invite people in you so they can see the Christ in you in whatever that you do. Right. And it doesn't have to. They don't they don't need to see the Christ in you like, oh, how do you open up your Bible, read the scriptures? Yeah, that's good. But how do you treat your how do you treat your neighbors when you go to the grocery store? You know, how how do you celebrate at a baseball game? How do you parent your children? Right. How do you play your your favorite sport when you play and do it to the glory of God? All of that needs to be seen in order for people to see the Christ in you. Amen. 
We were made in Christ's image and likeness, so Christ redeemed us so that we would what? Show his image and likeness, right? Remember that magnifying scope. The idea, again, if someone looked through you while aiming at your life, they should see Christ. They should see you living like he did, right? It's what we were made for. You know, if you, if you look at all the scriptures in the, in, the, in the gospels, Jesus sometimes quotes scriptures, but a lot of time he just teaches as he goes. And as they follow him, they see the image of God in him. He is the, he is the, the image of God, right? As the scripture says. In John chapter 1, he actually says it uh, this way. No one has ever seen God but the begotten one of the Father, meaning that the one that was with him throughout all eternity, he's the only one that's seen the Father. He's also the only one that even could make God shown, right? Why? Because John chapter 1 says this, that the word became flesh, right? So, guys, I know this is really heavy, but check this out. The unknowable God became known because Jesus became a man. And he showed us himself and how he lived and how he loved. And that's what people should see when they look through the scope through us, right? So come follow me and let me show you the Christ in me. Herb Hodges says it this way in the book, uh, Tally Ho the Fox. He writes, everything begins with vision. You will become what you see, but what you do not see, you cannot be. You will become what you behold, but what you do not behold, you cannot become. In other words, you can only be like what you can see, right? Again, exactly why Jesus came to earth. Many people think about the fact that Jesus poured his life out unto death, but we don't think enough about how Jesus first poured his life out as he lived. And that's exactly what we must learn if we're to make disciples and how to do it. Right. You know, this is this family. This is a great RC season because it's a real focus. It's a real focus on real practical disciple making and letting people into our lives so that they might be able to see the Christ in us. Right. Through both World Relief and through SLAM. If you're not plugged into one, as, as Pastor Jeremy said earlier, please come see him so we can get you guys plugged in so we can actually put this thing uh, into practice and, and, and learn from one another. Amen. And we're called to do this thing, family, together. For Christ's glory. Let's pray. Lord God. (laughs) Lord God, I I thank you, Lord, for those that you've (laughs) had be present in our lives to pour into us, Lord God. I think of all the sermons that that I've heard over the years, and yes, they've been formative, but it's so much easier, God, to think of the names of the people and the faces of the people that you put in my life to pour into me, Lord God. And I know that's the case for every single one of us, Lord, so I want to thank you, Lord, for the work that you've done to not just tell us about how to love one another, but to show us how to love one another, Lord God. And in this season, Lord God, as we think about our purpose and what it means, Lord God, to magnify you in your name, would would you put in our hearts, Lord, to consider what is it? What, what in our lives? What are our nets, Lord God? What, what things would you have us open up, Lord, for others? I know it's difficult for any of us, Lord God, and I confess personally, Lord, to, to, to look for time in my schedule or even, even places and, and times to share, Lord God. But I think about you, Lord Jesus, and you poured it all out, Lord God, even before the cross and on the cross. And then you, you rose from the dead and came back and poured into to those around us even more, Lord. Because you're just so gracious, God. I do thank you, Lord. You are worthy to be praised above all things, Lord God. And so as we just sit back and as we sing, we remember you. We do love you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Well, we praise the Lord. Thank you, Eric, for, for that word. Ain't much needed. Can we give it up for, for, for Eric one time? really appreciate that word such a good timely word for all of us um, I, I want to give one reminder that immediately after this service about 15 minutes after the service ends you could actually put this into practice believe it or not because afterwards we're going to have a meeting for anyone interested in serving in the Brookades ministry all right this is a fantastic way for you to implement what you just heard if you have a passion for children um, and or discipleship all right. And with that being said, uh, I'm going to leave you with this blessing from Numbers chapter 6, verse 24 through 26. which says, may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May, may the Lord look on you with favor and give you peace. Church family, let's go and make disciples relying on the work of Christ. God bless you. You are dismissed.